Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. Uh, by uh, Presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy, joined by co-host Juan Cicada. Hello, Tim. How are you doing? It is. I'm we're good. global today. So hello. Yeah, where, where hello. are you? So, it, well, first of all, it's Wednesday. It is end of the day, 5 p.m. here where I am on the East Coast. I'm in Orlando. Where are you, Tim? Uh, it's 10 o'clock where I am. I'm in London in the U.K. This is a global podcast episode today. And uh, I'm here live from Gartner, and I'm together with our fantastic guest, who I met actually at a Gartner last year. I forget what it, we just sat down. We had a phenomenal conversations, and I'm super happy that you are a listener and now you're part of the guest. It's Kristen Kim, who's a senior director of decision science at Post Holdings. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to be part of the show. I've uh, loved the show to listen to both of you uh, and all your great speakers, and I'm excited to be part of it. Awesome. I do have to say um, for my legalese at Post Holdings that all of the opinions I'm expressing today are entirely my own. I'm not representing Post Holdings today. Thank you for that. We got acknowledged. <laughs> all right. So let's kick this off. Uh, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for today? Tim, you're on the other side of uh, the pond. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a special cocktail, uh, a special old fashioned. It is an Italian old fashioned uh, provided by the bar that I'm in. So the bar is called Ruby Lucy. It's a very fun kind of rock themed bar. They've got these like uh, martial uh, uh, like amp kind of things that are here for, for listening to music and things like that. And uh, this Italian old fashioned's got some Amaro in it. So good stuff. Oh, how about you, Kristen? I am drinking a hibiscus cooler, which, you know, has some hibiscus liqueur, vodka, and for hydration, coconut water. There you go. You see, getting, getting all, all the, you all know, in one. All in one. Yep. Um, that sounds refreshing. So I'm by the pool and I'm like, hey, it's actually nice and sunny here in Orlando. It's finally not humid because every time I come here, it's hot and humid. Beautiful. It's beautiful right now. And I'm like, I just want a nice, cool beer. And they have one of my favorite IPAs, uh, the, the, uh, the Jai Lai, High Lai, I think it is. Um, anyways, delicious that. So what are we toasting for? I had a toast. great day today. Thank you to Mike Sullivan, who uh, helped me, and Gartner, who helped me get um, a little bit of a wonderful day. I got to take my picture with Magic Johnson. Truly inspirational. Uh, the way he makes people feel is amazing. How about you, Tim? What are you toasting for today? I'm going to toast to being connected to other people. It's great to meet interesting people, be connected. So I'm going to toast to that today. Cheers to that. All right. Awesome. So, Cheers, Kristen. Cheers, Juan. So Cheers. We're, we're, we're traveling and we're at a conference and stuff. So tell me what are the most fun things that you've done with a large group of friends or colleagues when you've been at a conference? Mm, something I'm going to say out loud. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, we went to a conference, not not this particular time, but usually whenever I go to a conference with my team, I take them to a basketball uh, game. And um, that's already a fun thing, right? Yeah, there. it's amazing. And my, you know, the, the team itself is super fun. I'm a huge basketball fan. So that's, you know, my enamor uh, day of Magic Johnson. But um, but yeah, we always go to a basketball game and enjoy the local sports because it's around the culture and the sports and, you know, being, being a part of the city. You, Tim, what have you done? Fun, crazy? 
Well, I also have to ask that, uh, make that same comment as Kristen, which is like, hmm, it's okay to say on a podcast. Um, it, was, it, it was really fun uh, going out. Uh, there was a conference I went to uh, several years ago where we all went out karaokeing uh, afterwards, and that was so much fun. So uh, karaokeing is definitely uh, up there. I think that was what I was going to say. I've been from academic conferences, industry conferences, the karaoke part. I did a conference once in Japan. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> And actually, another crazy karaoke one was here at this Gardner one because there's that Japanese restaurant in here, and uh, we ended up karaoke. Um, that was a that was a fun night. But anyways, all right, let's take it off. That's so, a whole other show. Yeah. So, <laughs> how does no BS, Kristen? What do you mean by the power of collaboration? Which is the title of our episode today. Yeah, the power of collaboration. So, you know, um, working through everything from self-service to our data catalog implementation, um, what you really find in, in working with the communities uh, around data, what you really find is what I call the undervalued value, and that's in collaboration. And everybody is focused on the ROI of a use case, right? And I absolutely believe that you need to, you know, mine for your gold and make sure that you're doing things that make sense. But at the same time, the undervalued value is what actually helps you get there. And so like in a data catalog, what happens is you end up with a treasure trove of all of those individual use cases. And now you have somewhere to go to get that use case and exactly how to build it. And you can stumble upon an idea. You can uh, amplify your own idea. You can amplify others and each one of those is this that stumble upon moment and that light enlightenment is something that you really can't put a value on, but is really the value of the data catalog. So, so, so I think one of the things that we were talking earlier was having these like I like the you stumbled upon moments, but then also you have like the whole technical conversation that we don't get bogged down into like all these features, and it's like yeah, you need these technical features, but sometimes like that seems to be like the ultimate goal is like to get these features implemented, and it's like but wait, wait, these are just means to an end. I mean, what exactly? You, you had a rant on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, from a rant perspective, you know that's where when when people are talking about value. Right. People talk about what I call the what, the why and the wow. Right. So what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And oh, my God, we're going to miss this opportunity if we don't do it. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. We're in business, you know, for a reason. But the in the rant is, is where you start to go sideways is that when you talk about how do you do it, people get caught up in, you know, canonical models and uh, taxonomies and glossaries and lineage. And actually, nobody cares about that part. I mean, you know, my data architects are going to say, yes, Kristen, I care, but um, really nobody cares. At the end of the day, you're, you're focused on what are you building or what are you bringing to the table with it, right? And so, um, and so really folk, being able to um, show, being able to see what other people are, are creating um, and the fact that, oh, somebody already created this. I don't have to start from scratch. I can do this and make my idea better and start so much quicker, accelerate so much faster, right? Um, be able to re uh, to react to something and say, oh, um, and we have that all the time. So an example is um, with our self-service program, with our you know data fluency program, 
somebody created a set of dashboards, right? So that actually ended up with the dashboards and process, they ended up driving almost $4 million and a quarter in Lyft to our revenue, right? You, nothing to sneeze at, right? So what happens if another customer team takes that and amplifies it because they found it in the catalog and another customer team and another customer team? Those are the things that you start to, you don't really add up, but that's that untapped value that is created by collaboration and it's created by the, the catalog itself. I, I love that. How, how do you bring more visibility to that, though? Because I think sometimes when we talk about collaboration and things like that, it feels like the soft stuff, right? Whereas even though I think you're right, right? There is stuff that is kind of the how and the what that people obsess over a lot, but but they can really see it. They're like, well, I have lineage. I turned it on. It's working now, right? <laughs> like like it's like it's very visible, like when it's when it's on and when it's working and when it's not. But the collaboration piece is a little more intuitive and it's a little softer. How, how do how, like how do we bring visibility to that so people do really value it and see it? I mean, I think it's storytelling, just like it is to show data value. Right. When you're showing the value of the data, you're not saying empirically, you know, I'm looking at this math equation to, you know, use this algorithm to get it. You're telling the story of the data and just tell the story of collaborations value and the softer skills, I think, is telling the same story. So um, one is making it more relatable. So kind of a little bit of a left turn to your question for a second is, um, you know, being a food company. Um, I, uh, I used an analogy to help make the data catalog a little bit more relatable. I had a really difficult time explaining it and what it can do. Um, but if you turn it into an analogy, so for example, I think data is an ingredient, right? And one of the ways that a data catalog shows up is it's the grocery store, right? So we sell a lot of cereal, honey bunches of oats, but think about walking into a grocery store and being able to pick up a piece of data ingredient, right? You take a little customers, you're gonna throw it together with some sales and a little bit of inventory, you got yourself a forecast, right? So uh, you don't have to worry about how fresh it is because the data catalog tells you exactly how fresh it is, right? You don't have to worry about it being there or not because you just found it, right? It's just on the shelf. It's just there for you, waiting for you. Uh, you take these ingredients, you go to your kitchen, which is your enterprise platform, right? It's your database, it's your visualization tool, it's your ML tools, whatever. And then you go and you make your model, which is your recipe. It tells you exactly how to put it all together so that you can make your meal, right? And then the data catalog has lots of models, lots of uh, assets. So it's really your cookbook. And at the end of the day, it's like, it says, you know, priceless as grandma's cookbook, and you're sharing those recipes of exactly how you do it. You get a, you know, I'm going to add a little bit more sugar. I'm going to add a little bit more salt. You're going to add your own secret sauce. You're going to amplify the idea and make something even better. I love so, that analogy. So the, the, I think many people use this analogy about the kitchen, but I, I one thing that is a bit subtle, but I think we want to, I want to just really highlight this is that you're cataloging like, all the the ingredients and you're cataloging the recipes you're cataloging the, the the result of the recipe the meals and those go back in and then maybe somebody else is going to say i'm looking for this recipe and this ingredient that i want to mix or exi an existing meal and add so it's like you're able to now make all these possible combinations around that and it's not just about only ingredients not just about uh, because i think the other point is like yeah. sometimes we create 
these meals and then uh they they yeah we created the meal and that's it and then you have to, i wanted somebody else wants that same meal well then you go and, and figure out how to go create it again i'm like we're reinventing the wheel yes. over and over again and so i think part of taking this analogy is like everything needs to get in your catalog it's like not just the ingredients but also all the meals that are being prepared and goes back to like the whole circle of your you catalog what i always bring catalog data you catalog knowledge all this stuff needs to get connected these all get connected and you just made me think of something else one like what do you do with your leftovers no just kidding <laughs> and that's a whole different well you do like take you know this is another thing too that we do on the podcast is that we come up with these analogies and then we keep them going or the, these metaphors and see how long we keep them going so let's see how long this one is. yeah because i'm already thinking you need to put it in the data compost but but we do need all of that. But but before we get there, like we need to have the leftovers catalog because you can only keep them for so amount of time. Well, well, yeah. There's definitely the leftovers in doing it. But what I was actually going for was what I call sweating your data assets, right? Because you actually are buying data now too, and it is expensive. It doesn't expensive, but you know you have to curate your data. You got to keep your data. There's a cost associated to data. It's all, you know, I call it the hidden cost of data. But there's a cost associated to it, right? And so. Uh, if you're going to spend money on something, you want to sweat that for as much as you can. You want to use it in as many different ways as you can so that you get the most out of it, right? And so if you don't make it accessible to everyone or make it available and just kind of market it, really, that it's available, then, you know, that's how you get the maximum value out of it again. Yeah. More juice uh -huh. for your squeeze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like more juice for the squeeze. And, the you know, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Kristen. Yeah. I was just going to say in the um, consumer products business, you know, consumer behavior is really important data. What are people buying at the grocery store? What else are they buying at the grocery store? That information is for more than just marketing, right? The demand planners want to know what, how much is being you know, sold in the stores, you know, to help us plan our inventory. Finance people want to know, like everybody wants to use it, but without knowing yeah. it, seeing what they've done with it. Yeah, I mean, this is the storytelling, the marketing, the the communication around all this obviously is very important. You know, one of the things that you told Juan and I uh, as we were prepping for this session is around that people kind of miss the boat and can get really boring if they're just thinking of this as like some kind of a Dewey Decimal System for data. So, like, <laughs> why why is that the wrong thing to think about? And like, how do you change your frame around that? Because. Name a business person that knows what a canonical model is, right? <laughs> right? Or like, you know, that's, and nobody cares, right? Like nobody cares how it was really made. In fact, Juan and I were just talking about, you know, how do you measure the ROI, right? And I would say the exact wrong way is get really hung up on exactly how to calculate the precision exact right answer for ROI. It's really around what what productivity, revenue lifts, cost avoidance did the business achieve? Re really not the true ROI of one particular technology, right? So taking that analogy a little bit uh, further, I heard somebody doing A-B testing to, to be able to truly value the cost of or the value of AI. And I'm like, you want to know the value of the project and the, what the business value gave to you. You don't really care if it was AI in particular. So that that yeah, that, we'll that that's an honest, obvious take because I think <laughs> because 
you would think like, oh, as data people want to have all the data, right? To make like, I want to be able to show all the evidence that this is the right, I'm going to give you a number that I can back it up. But at the same time, you got to be like, you got to be practical about this stuff. And the, pra the, the practicalities is like, how much is this actually, I mean, increasing productivity? How much is it making us money? How much did we reduce costs and so forth? So, it, but for that, like we need to then really have, it's not just the baselines, but like on, we need to understand how the business is working. I think this is the other thing is that we have all these disconnects between uh, data teams that are not really understanding how the, how the business works, which I want to connect it back to the storytelling is how do we become better storytellers then? Um, I'm going to go back to uh, the, way, the, the way that I tell my team. First, you focus on the what, the why, and the wow, right? So it's not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. But really, it's that last piece is the wow. And we have kind of a, kind of a, we say it in a funny way within my team. And uh, I do it with a Paris Hilton meme. And I say, I don't get out of bed for less than a million dollars. You know what I mean? Because really, <laughs> really, it's about how are you going to spend your time? And you want to spend your time on the most needle moving, impactful ways. You don't want to spend your time saving one person an hour a week or something like that, right? So you really want to spend your time on the most impactful ways. <laughs> Tim, we got two t-shirts there. The, the the what, the why, and the wow. And I don't get out of bed for at least a million dollars. <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, and that's how you focus on value, right? So, um, okay, I was looking at notes here. Another thing we were talking about, the arming the gold miners. You oh. talk about this Levi Strauss model. Expand on this. Okay, so data teams do an excellent job uh, getting on a project, right? You, you figure out what the project is, what is the goal. You're going to, you know, do a demand forecast or something. Use a predictive model to do a demand forecast, customer segmentation, whatever. And each use case is you know hunting for gold right you're looking for value right again we always measure our uh projects and the value that we're realizing either in revenue lift cost saved cost avoidance and um or efficiencies gained and you know my team returns tens of millions every year um back to the bottom line but one thing that we started to do as we matured is uh, taking the army, army and the gold miners approach. And it's really, I call it the Levi Strauss model. So I'm from California and in the gold rush times, Levi Strauss didn't go mine for gold himself. He put the tools and the genes right in the hands of the people that were going to um, mine the gold. And who ended up the richer one, right? Like at the end of the day, Le Levi Strauss is the one that really created the empire, right? And um, and maybe Magic Johnson said it even better today. He said, it's not just yourself being successful, it's, but it's helping everyone else be successful. And for us, every, helping everyone else in the business be enabled to be successful using data to drive value for the company. I love that. One thing that I think is unique about what you just said there is when you said, just from the beginning, when you said cost avoidance, revenue created, efficiencies gained, like, your team contributes tens of millions of dollars back to the bottom line. I think that folks don't always think about that. I think folks aren't 
Like I, I can tell that you're naturally thinking about the ROI and I feel like data teams are not thinking enough about that and working that into how they're talking about the work that they're doing. So I guess, you know, that something's different. Is it a mindset shift that folks need to embrace? It's probably a mindset shift, but you know, who better to do the analysis and tell the story than data people about the value that was just created on what they just did. Right, like, no, so. no, but but I, I do feel that, I mean, there is a large portion. I, I, I think I think it's large, but that just focuses back on these features, on this tech, on the tech stuff, right? And then then it's like, yeah, the 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 data engineers are are, are not uh, they have to go deal with all these pipeline issues. Like, yeah, but but we're not seeing the bigger picture. Like, you're not really you're being very operational about these things, and and. And we're talking earlier, like, well, this is the big Gartner IT part, right? And there's like yeah. all this infrastructure security, which you need to have these things, right? But it's like, that's like the cost of just doing the business. But but what we're discussing here is like being strategic for the business. And I think there is that, I still see a disconnect. And I would argue, I'm, I mean, this is my hot take here. I'd argue that there are teams in different organizations that you're like, yeah, you're just an operational, you're just... Versus, look, you're actually being strategic. Like, you're actually thinking about, well, you're just bringing up this Levi Strauss model, right? You're thinking about, the like, that's this the storytelling. While other folks are, like, they're not. They're just, I, I'm, they are waking up and not for a million dollars. <laughs> you know, I call that uh, when data scientists get lost in walking their random forest. So... <laughs> That's little, another little data science humor that's there. That's another yeah. T-shirt right there. Um, <laughs> and I think, I guess, at the end of the day, um, you know, I never asked to be the leader of the team, but I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be a part of a shift. Uh, you know, everything that we're doing in data right now and in technology is a game-changing shift. Right. And so I think that our job as leaders is to focus on what matters. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I'm in a Fortune 500 company and we're here to, you know, increase shareholder value, improve people's lives. Right. Like what is the goal that you're trying to accomplish? And it's and it's really the how is super fun and the how is super important. Um, but you always got to remember the why and the wow. I like the 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 what, the why, the wow. Yeah, the what, um, the why, the wow, and then you can talk about the how, right? So yeah. the how and the who, but yeah. Get get the three W's in first. You you talked about the Levi Strauss model, and I love that kind of analogy or that sort of example of how it's not just about the gold itself it's like how do you enable and there's and there's even more value in some cases in the enablement than there is even sometimes in the in the folks you're enabling right um how do how do you enact that in an organization like like what's an example of something around the levi stress model that we could point to as like you know for those who are listening either they're part of a data team they're managing a data team like what's what's a way that they could be leveraging that that concept well, then you're going to take a turn into the culture conversation. And so everything around that is around um, the culture. And um, and it's not just a data culture. And probably back to your value question, it has to be really the, the company culture, right? And 
um, that you have a, a place to innovate, uh, to collaborate and focus, right? But, um, you know, and I think about culture, culture is really three things. It's enablement, right? Uh, giving, uh, giving, having the tools, the right tools to do your job, right? To hunt for, hunt for the gold. Number two is really learning and knowledge, right? Like teaching the smart people uh, how to use the tools. Um, it's also about teaching them how to uh, know more about the business process itself. If you don't know anything about the business process itself, the tools aren't going to help you. Um, and also it's about um, learning to tell the story of the business process with the tools that you have, right? Um, and the last piece is really the collaboration piece. And collaboration is the sustainability of the first two, right? So collaboration is what makes it stick. Collaboration is makes it be a part of the DNA, the part of the culture, as opposed to just being one and done, right? So um, it's those three working together that actually create the arming the gold miner. And so you asked for an example. Um, I'll, I'll tell you about a, a story. Um, it's kind of a you know a case study where we we took someone into our um, data fluency program, um, and it's the Viz Academy. I, I call it data fluency over data literacy because I think it's so much more empowering and positive to say I am fluent in the language of data, as opposed to you know. Um, data literacy, which makes me sound kind of stupid, but um, I just quick pause. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I mean, people hear me saying I don't like. We should stop using this word data literacy because it implies that you're illiterate. Yes. That's not true. And no. and I really, really like the whole fluency. Because like I am fluent in a language, or yes. I'm or I'm not fluent yet. I'm learning to be it. So I love this data fluency. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, it's just positive and, and inspiring. I think. But anyways, so. Um, People don't always know the tools, especially some of the data visualization tools are kind of difficult to learn. It takes a little bit of grit to learn a data visualization tool. Um, but taking the time and they go along a journey, we do a uh, we do a, a fantastic class. I'm, I'm really, really proud of the, the class that the team has built. Um, but it's, you know, um, maybe a 10 week course and you start at the at the basics and you really just learn around the language of data and um, and you level up into actually how to build your um, dashboards and how to tell your data stories. And you're learning about the business process. We, You learn about the certain data sets that you're interested in. So you're not just learning about the tools, you're learning about the process, you're learning about the data, you're learning how to tell that story, right? And so taking someone up that journey and seeing that light bulb moment, just they got to eat their meal, right? And they're like, oh, mama mia, best pasta I've ever had, right? You know, that light bulb moment, like, this is amazing. And then they go, you know what? I want to make my own. So then we've had people in our classes go on to create the most either basic dashboards that have changed business. Who cares how pretty it is, right? Like as long as you got the message across and uh, were able to uh, use your dashboard or your store to tell a story to change something for the better and like i said earlier somebody was able to change for the better and added find these micro opportunities to increase our sales that translated into you know millions of dollars right another one is able to you know um 
they come up with these dashboards that we hadn't created and it's like putting those tools and that that knowledge in the the business person's hands who really knows it and they're able to do it and now what we do in our collaboration so we also have these um community meetings we tell the stories of what other people have done right so the gold miners that we have armed we celebrate them we do a case study on them we you know let everybody applaud them and share what they do it to inspire other people and that and you know at the end of the day another one of those undervalued value is at the end of the day everybody wants to do a good job right and they want to they want to create value people want to do a good job they want to do something that helps the company and they want to be seen they want to see what they have contributed and they want to be seen for it and that's priceless as well that's part of the culture too mm -hmm. the celebration of the there's another topic that comes up about is a uh, celebrate the wins celebrate the, the wins, wins. yeah um so we've been talking very positively about things <laughs> All right. So, uh, give in your experience, like, why doesn't like what what happens when things go they don't go well, and 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 why is it that they're going wrong, and how do you fix that? Because like, so go, going back to a couple of your things, like the the, the 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 why, the what, the why, and the how, right? So it sounds easy. Is it easy? Like, is it like? I'm listening to this right now. It's like, yeah, it should be pretty good. The what, the why, and the how. Let me go do this. But the what, the why, and the wow. But when do you struggle to get to that? And if and if you're struggling, does that what does that mean? Or I'm just curious about like, let's give let's talk about like when things go don't go very well. Well, good question. Um, what I would say. Well, first of all, we do have um, you know I'm a again big sports fan. So I, I think that there's, uh, you either win or you learn, right? I, I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, things might not always go perfect, uh, but you learn from it and you get better every time. Um, so as long as you, if you're gonna fail, you know, you can fail, but let's try to fail fast and let's try to not fail too big, right? You know what I mean? And if you do it fast enough, you're not gonna fall, fail too big. Um, I think that, um, you know, for us, we are so focused on value or felt, you know, and part of being focused on value is speed to value. Right. Um, and, uh, sometimes you go so fast, you might trip over yourself. Right. You know, so, um, and what we tend to trip over ourselves is project management, right. And making, you know, seeing all the angles and, you know, project management is truly a, a, a art as much as it is a skill. Um, and you have to really balance like not overdoing it and slowing things down, um, but really having the, the plan, you know, the, the path paved. So that is, I think, difficult to do that art and blend of how much too, is too much. Um, and that's, that's probably like a little thing, but a much bigger thing, the most, I, I would bet that the number one cause of people um, for failure is really focusing on what you know, grownups call change management, right? And um, and it and it really goes back to again is focusing on value and focusing on your audience is really the other thing. Who is going to benefit for the value, right? And what do they need to be able to ingest?
that change, to realize that change, because you actually have to make the person who's going to benefit, you have to change their day. And so in order to change someone's day, you have to get in their mind and you have to um, really understand their pain points. you got to understand what lights them up and what's going to drive them and be motivated to change their behavior. And then you have to make it stick, right? So uh, you can't be one and done. You can't, it's not feel the dreams where you just build it and people come, right? You know what I mean? You have to go, you have to understand their mindset. You have to follow them along. You have to show how what they're doing is creating a value. You have to make them excited. And that's an art that not necessarily all data people are good at, right? So a lot of data people want to like focus on their models and their algorithms and whatnot, but change management is where you might actually have the hardest time. Yeah. I, I like that you said the grown-ups call this change management. <laughs> so what do the non-grown-ups call it? Uh, I don't know. I don't have a good word for it, actually. I know. <laughs> yeah. The, the youngsters are like, man, it's politics or something like that, right? No, it really isn't. It's just paying attention, right? It's paying attention, and it's really focusing on people. People often just overlook the... And I hate it when people call other people users, right? I, mean, I hate that term. I'm like, are we doing drugs? Yeah. <laughs> but, I'll be honest. We know, struggle. Like, we even struggle with this at data.world. Are they called end users? Are they consumers? Are they like, what are, are they? They call right? them the yeah. business users, the business people. Like, they, yeah, you book it. Everybody has this group. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, it's the people that we're trying to help. Right, you know what I mean, or the the process that we're trying to change. But, but do, yeah. do you have a phrase yeah. that you call those people? Is that like your community, like your business community, or what do you call it? Um, I just call them people. Hmm. Yeah, I just call them people. Wait, you said something. The, there's the the people we're trying to help, and the processes that we're trying to change or improve or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah that that. There's all these little things that, um, that like, the, for me, it's like these words, these small words that we happen that it generates a culture that we kind of like, we're all just used to this, uh, that we go back to the, the, the features and technology, right? Then we're like, okay, so yeah, we have a, we have to be data literate about this stuff. And we have to do change management, right? And then uh, I go, we have the users need to go like, we focus on all these little things and we really forget to zoom out on the big pictures about it. So I, this is why it's such a refreshing conversation right now to know that um, there's this big picture out and we need to really understand that. But I'm now thinking, you said it earlier that you work for a very, very large organization. And then how much of what we're saying here is easier or possible in a large organization and it's it, it can is also applicable for small organizations. Or do you think uh, things are e- there are other things that are easier in small organizations that are, that are harder in large organizations? So how does this compare, kind of in different types of organizations? Besides? You know, throughout my career, I've gotten to work at all sizes, right? From companies with you know thirty thousand, forty thousand people, uh, down to smaller startups and whatnot. And um, to be honest with you. It's the harder, the bigger the companies are, the harder it is. But that's another place where 
the technology and the way that uh, business models have changed or organizational models have changed make it easier now than ever. So what I mean by that is, um, and I'm going to get really specific around data organizations. Mm -hmm. um, so data organizations, um, you know, are, you know, they always debate where should the CDO sit, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Which, which C, whatever. And, and it really, you know, that stupid answer of it depends, right? <laughs> so, um, but, but at the end of the day, the problem is with, the way that typical corporations or corporations have always been structured functionally, right? Everybody, the salespeople sit here, the finance people sit here, right? The IT people sit over here. And um, how many uh, football games are won by teams of all quarterbacks, right? Like you need discipline from every single area, uh, all different disciplines coming together to, you know, take their skills together. And what you can do with the data team is create these smaller teams that have the discipline that you need for the focus that you have, right? And so the sales will have salespeople, but they might also have a data integration person. They might have a data scientist. They have a data visualization person as an augmentation to their team. These smaller, I call them either focus teams or a tagger team, right? I think there's all sorts of names right now in the industry, but I think that that is the way you are able to bring smaller sets of teams because it's impossible to hire data people right now. You need to kind of spread them across, you know, the, the tables, but keep the culture, disseminate that, that mindset, that thinking throughout the organization. So now you can still have that same thinking at every level. Does that make sense? It, so if I'm going to, let me rephrase this is that, in in large organizations right let's go back to your analogy right you know, football team a game is not won by just just only having quarterbacks right so we need it that means that we actually need is the diversity folks and, if, and that diversity is going to change with respect to kind of what focus you're going to have so in, first of all the sales people are going to have on the sales side you have more <laughs> sales people than on the marketing side right but but maybe you for some particular focus you're going to have uh, i don't know uh, the same split of the smes on sales and with data side but for marketing maybe more marketing whatever i mean mm -hmm. it really depends on that focus so i think that, that that's an important point right there uh, and, and the second one is you're, you're talking about like a very distributed decentralized kind of federated model when it comes to all these team structures uh, now the question is is there ever or is there the central data team that actually manages and moves the data people or do the data people live in one org and then they get they get moved to another one and they get restructured all the time or because that can also change the, within the culture because the cultures of sales may be different from what's marketing right so uh, so anyways there's a lot that I so my <laughs> honest no bullshit answer is that i lean into the what they call there's so many different terms for it, um, but and I hate this term for it, but that center of excellence model, yeah, because you have fragmented or you have centralized or you have center of excellence, right? And what you really want is as many uh, data people as you can afford closer to the business. But at the end of the day, a data scientist in a sales organization is never going to be the head of sales. Do you know what I'm saying? That's not a good career path for him he's going to be maybe a head of data. So while they would maybe technically report so that through a arm where they can have good mentorship and somebody to lead them to 
um, become a better, even better data scientist than they are today, but be out in the business so that's where they can add value and get their life skills, right? Get their business skills, they can understand that process. But I think that's what good looks like, right? Is is um, having these teams of, you know, spe specialized skills, sitting with the business, focused on the value and the problems that the business is focused on, but still having a, um, a relationship, a reporting relationship to something central so that their careers can be groomed and um, lifted. That makes sense. Not everybody do, agrees do you, on that point, but that, that's what I think. Well, I know some people kind of argue like, well, should you know that person be a part of that group like sales but then kind of dotted line into the central organization or are they part of the central organization and they're sort of dotted lining into that or are assigned to that particular subject matter x you know area do you, do you have opinion on one model that you like more than the My other or, or is that the you prefer My the latter yeah they but they need yeah. to be in every weekly status meeting every kind of you know treated as part of the same team because they have to know how you think, they have to know what you care about. You know what I mean? They have to be able to finish your sentence just like the other sales guy. You know? Really immerse yourself, kind of become part of the team, even though your reporting structure is also aligned to your career path. Exactly. Who, who else would follow in follow this type of approach, not just in data? Finance people, right? So the finance people don't just sit in their. Um, you know, little accounting world, you know, the, the finance people are actually the ones that are going out to the sales people and truly understanding maybe the cost of sales, you know, what gets you to net sales. They truly, like in manufacturing, they really understand the cost of every ingredient, the amount of labor that goes into every widget that you produce, right? And they're, they're doing those analyses. They're doing pricing strategies, right? So, the, the finance function is the same thing. They're going out to that particular arm of the business and applying their secret sauce, their own discipline on that business function in order to help that leader make decisions. Same thing. That's a really good point. I don't think that's ever come up on this show before, yeah, how is, similar is. the finance organization is actually kind of to the data organization. Smaller, but yeah. This is actually a fascinating point because we sometimes we talk about this as like, oh, we're going to go do this thing that the data is going to move there. Like, I'm like, your point is like, we already do this for finance. I mean, this is nothing <laughs> new. So why do we make such a big deal about it? Well, it's, I think data is at bigger scale. Finance is probably one person and data is probably a bigger scale. So that's why it's probably a little bit has a pucker factor. Okay. That's a fair point. Is a... Um, so, and, you know, I think, I don't know uh, for everyone, but a lot of data comp, uh, data organizations have started off in, t in IT. And so they're thought of with the same lens as being IT. And there's some things that are very close, right? We, we use a lot of technology, right? Like I have my whole uh, platform team to support the technology. Uh, uh, there's no finance person that has their own platform team. Do you know what I'm saying? And then um, at the same time, we also have um, uh, we're service, right? We're a, we're a support function. We're not we're not monetizing our data right now. You know, some people do, but that's not the core business function. Is an add-on. So, so 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 to kind of wrap 
we're gonna start wrapping up here, but this is getting there's so much more you need to talk to. Um, <laughs> let's go back to the to the question that you said. Well, it depends, right? Um, so where where should data report to? Where should the CDO or the LSOs report to? Or what what are the different options that you see? I don't remember what the percentage is, but I'm sure like there's percentages out there. Um, what I have heard is is that in the infantile stage, they report through an IT organization, right? As a company matures with data, it often goes to the marketing organization because of the power of data science in consumer behavior, right? So they tend to go there. But then what happens is that the, you know, like an, I'm in a manufacturing environment, but the operations group gets a little bit jealous because, you know, there's really a lot of opportunities for data science and predictive maintenance and, you know, uh, line optimization. There's some really great use cases out there for data science. So they want their team too. And so ultimately, where do I think it needs to fit in? My opinion would be either a chief operating officer or a chief financial officer or just being a seat at the table. Well, that's, uh, well, I'll give you the final word, Tim. But one thing is that um, this is a trend that I've been seeing that move into operations, at least that's the desire of it. Um, and it makes sense because because if you're, in the IT, you're like, well, you're cost center, right? No, data is not just a cost center, right? Just making sure that the reports are generated, like that, there's much more than that. Right. So ultimately, like an ultimate goal is like you have a seat at the table, like you're reported as CEO, like you, you're at the board meetings. But something in the middle is like, no, you are actually there to make sure that the business is operating effectively. So it's oper operational excellence. So you should be reporting all the way to the, the COO. You should um, be part of the revenue strategy, really. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is a shout out for an upcoming episode that we'll have with, uh, with uh, I was going to say Phil Williams, but Phil, you get the, you get the joke, it's Pete Williams uh, from Penguin Random House uh, UK, uh, because uh, actually he just announced it yesterday or on, on his LinkedIn. He uh, runs data for Penguin Random House and he moved out of the CIO and he's now uh, reporting to the COO. So he's gone through that whole entire journey of for years to make that happen. So it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation. I can't wait to listen to that. Uh, Tim, any last, uh, pass it on to you before we hit our, our lightning round. Or, well, we actually have the AI Minute. Oh, we have the AI Minute, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's not forget that. Uh, coincidentally, uh, just amusingly, I was actually having dinner with our friend uh, uh, Pete, not Phil, from uh, from PRH. So funny coincidence. Um, but uh, you know, the one last thing I'll say is that, you know, I, I think from a, a collaboration standpoint, you've really done a great job kind of illustrating like how to really focus on the people and the, the sort of the what and the why and the wow. I think that's really helpful. You know, just as a final question before we move into our sort of final bits here, you know, how do you create some good carrots and sticks to really motivate what you're trying to motivate here? Do you have any kind of tips on that before we move forward? You know, again, I'm a sports person, so there's no better driver and motivator than a scoreboard, right? The scoreboard of how many dollars are you putting up for revenue? What did you do to reflect, uh, lift revenue? Or how many dollars did you save in costs, right? And um, and really, and then again, celebrating those wins. So, scoreboard. I love, love that. It. Scoreboard. And, and then forces you to actually start putting, quantifying this and... All right, let's hit our AI minute. You have one minute. Oh no! To rant 
Say anything you want about AI. Go. Um, you know what bothers me about AI is, you know, uh, one is people are getting fatigued about it. It is awesome, right? Like the power is game changing of what we can do with AI. Two, you know, people think they're they're all trying to, um, you know, say this is AI and this isn't AI and, you know, and trying to maybe oversell it or undersell it. At the end of the day, who cares? Nobody cares what it's called, right? You know what I mean? Like, what can we do together, right? Like, what can we build? What can we create? And uh, what can we solve that we didn't get to solve before? So I think that's what's interesting about it. Um, I don't know. Not a full minute. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I, 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 I love how practical you are about it. It's like, yeah, the goal is to like solve things together. Like it's like kind of obvious and like, it, <laughs> and it is obvious, but sometimes we forget about it. So isn't this the no bullshit talk, right? You know, so yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you not get pulled into the pedantic stuff? That's the fun stuff to argue about. What's, how do you avoid that? Oh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can, you know, uh, talk data at the deep and, you know, uh, I don't know, technical as anyone else can. But but at the end of the day, you know, the the referee is uh, what are we doing? What are you trying to do? You know, so, you, so you're saying in our next episode, we could make it about the importance of canonical models. <laughs> Maybe you should get someone else for that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot more alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's like there's so many follow-ups on this one. <laughs> All right, lightning round. Uh, uh, I'll kick it off. Uh, so, you mentioned a ten-week course uh, when you're developing your data fluency training. Do you target the broader business for this, or is it more kind of focus on uh, more focus? It's uh, the broader business, and what we found is, first of all, we created it because there was a demand. And then so we let people in. But what we found was that um, when people had a purpose um, and they had an intention of what they wanted to do or they had an expectation, you know, their managers expect them to do a function, it stuck a whole lot better. Right. So now when we think about and what's happening is there's too much demand for how many classes I actually have people to, to support. So what we think about is really intentional now, like what area uh, of the business has either the most pent up demand or has a real opportunity uh, to capitalize on a project that they're doing to append um, a literacy, uh, you know, a class onto it as well to make that initiative project, what have you, even better. So, no, that makes sense. Really focus it. Um, second question uh, today, we talked about the power of collaboration. A lot of collaboration happens very organically, perhaps haphazardly, uh, in places like Slack and Teams. Is this a good thing? I think it's a great thing. I mean, I think that Teams and Slack are great. We use Teams quite a bit. I love it. But, you know, again, I think that the distribution channel for data and the culture of data is the data catalog, right? So I think uh, no matter where you are, remote, hybrid, whatever, nobody cares. You're distributed anyways, right? You're very few companies are all only in one spot, right? So um, you have to be able to create a place where you can find what you want uh, at the right place, right time, you know, right way. Um, and also be able to contribute. 
So th that's key. All right, next question. Is AI going to help data collaboration or harm it? I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I'm going to say help, right? It's going to level everything, level it up. I'm really excited for some of the pedantic stuff, kind of the, you know, um, just the code generation, right? Like being able, I, I, I feel like I'm going to be superhuman, right? Like with what you're able to accomplish now that you would take you a long time to do before. So I'm looking forward to my new superpowers. They're already here. With that. <laughs> and take us yeah. away. No worries. Yeah, we, we have some solutions people on our team that are using code generation and they're doing stuff in 10 minutes, what took three days. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final question. Uh, Self-service was also a theme today. Should everyone in the organization be empowered to create reports and dashboards? Everyone who wants to, right? I, I guess I don't know about everyone because that's a really, really broad word. But I don't think everyone has to, right? And I think that, um, it, it, let's face it, no matter what AI or what tools we put out there, it's going to take some amount of grit. You're going to have to want to do it um, to be able to use it. Um, and it's a power to be used for good or evil, right? So, you know, when you go to the everyone, then I don't know if we're going to take a term on data ethics, right? You know, but... Um, it, you should be using it to create value, create, um, you know, to make the world a better place, right? You know, so being able to use it for good. Well, Tim, it's uh, takeaway time. Take us away with your takeaways. Yeah. So we started with what is the power of collaboration? And Kristen, you really started us off with it's really the undervalued value that matters the most. And it's that when you've got, you know, for a catalog, for example, you've got this treasure trove of all these sort of individual use cases, you can stumble on things, but the true value is really the collaboration. It's the connection, it's the moments, it's the stories that come out of leveraging these tools, these data processes, doing these data activities, things like lineage or specific features. These are really a means to the end. It's the undervalued piece. It's that it's those moments. It's that collaboration that matters the most. Um, and when people talk about the value, it really has to be about the what, the why, and the, and the wow. And I like that because I think a lot of people say the what, the why, and the how. And I like how you kind of flipped that last piece. It, like before you even get to the how, let's start with the wow, right? And I know we've got a, a, a really fun uh, saying, which I'll, I'll mention a little later. I won't, I won't jump the gun on it, but you, you really have to focus on the business value. Um, and you, you went on a little bit of a rant where you said, like, you can go sideways where people get really stuck on the canonical models, the taxonomies, the lineage, like all these more technical or more specific or, you know, the pieces that we can argue the technical aspects around. Um, but ultimately, are those the pieces that are creating the value? We have to focus on the value. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, you know, you, you have programs that are creating multiple millions of dollars worth of value for the organization and dashboards that are having multiple millions of dollars of value. Like that's where the focus has to be. That's where the impact has to be. And how do you show the value around collaboration? You said it's around storytelling, make it relatable, use analogies. Uh, you used a, a, a great analogy, which is around the kitchen, right? Like data is the ingredient. The catalog is like the grocery store. 
you got to get the data ingredients. You got to mix them together. You got recipes like that. And then you created a forecast. You baked a forecast. You know, good job. Um, and, you know, go to the kitchen, you know, go create the model, create recipes and try to create repeatability. I think this is really awesome. And, and find those analogies that resonate with your organization, right? Because every organization is going to be different. Don't sweat the cost of data. Get more juice for your squeeze. Focus on measuring ROI and try to help your organization, the data team and the broader organization, become better storytellers. Uh, and I think that you had a great quote, which is that Paris Hilton's uh, said, I don't get out of bed for less than a million dollars. That's the mentality that we need to have across our organization, right? Don't get out of bed for a million dollars. Focus on the stuff that makes a difference. Focus on the wow. Focus on the cost avoidance, the revenue created, the efficiencies gained, right? That's going to be the difference. And last thing I'll say before I pass to Juan is that, Kristen, you mentioned the Levi Strauss model. He didn't go mine the gold for himself. He put the tools and the, and the genes in the hands of the people that wanted to go mine the gold. And if you have that kind of a mentality, an enablement mentality, you're going to be even richer than those gold miners. And so that's a great way to think. Juan, what about you? Well, I'm going to start with another good quote for a t-shirt that says, don't be the data scientist that gets lost walking in the random forest. <laughs> uh, we got, we got like, I think like four t-shirts uh, out of this uh, conversation today. Uh, so talk about culture, three things you said. One, you need a place to innovate and make sure you have the right tools to do your job. Second, it's about learning and knowledge, like not knowing about the business processes. The tools aren't going to go help. You need to know things. You need to learn how the business works and collaboration is what makes it stick. It makes it part of the DNA instead of just a one and done. Uh, second, I'm so glad we're connected on like, let's not use data literacy, let's use data fluency. It's more positive, it's inspiring. In your case, you have a, talk about a 10 year week course that you have where you can, people can learn about the data sets, the process, the tools, learn how to tell that story. They cook their own meal and they eat it and they're like, oh my God, this is great. I wanna keep doing this. And then people will come up with dashboards and will find micro opportunities, they'll save millions of dollars around this stuff. And then those are the wins. Those are the gold miners out there. You're gonna go celebrate them. That's actually part of the culture. Um, we are like, I brought up like, okay, this is all great, but what about when it, it's not great? I, mean, I, I like how you said it's either you win or you learn. That's another one. I really like another good quote there and fail fast, not too big. And if you are failing fast, then you know, it's not going to be that big. So I really like that point. Uh, so what else is hard there is a uh, project management is hard. It's an art and a skill. So you got to be careful in overdoing it, but you still need it. Uh, other thing that's hard is what grownups call change management. I think that's another t-shirt uh, right there. Grownups call this join brand. Uh, and change management effectively is just paying attention and it's about the people part. What are we trying to do? We're, we're, who are the people we're trying to help? What are the processes we're trying to improve? I think that's, that, that, that should be like, who are you helping today? What processes are you improving today? Like that should be on everybody's like, uh, you wake up or you go to the office or you're, whatever, you're turning your computer, that, that should be right there in front of you every day. Ask yourself. Um, let me also talk about what are the differences between big companies and smaller companies and how does this, this how is this being set up? It says bigger companies, it's harder, but the way that organizational models have changed make it easier now than ever. And I think another thing that you, that you brought up is like how many football teams do you see that win that are just full of quarterbacks? That doesn't happen. And that's why you need that diversity for you need data teams. You have rich experiences that are kind of pushed with the sub teams uh, and that diversity is what brings it together. Um, specialized data skills are going to be sitting in the business. 
but you also want to have some reporting relationship to some center of excellence so they can keep having that mentorship and, and growth. And this is this isn't just unique to data. This happens already in finance, right? The finance folks they need to understand the cost of everything. But one thing to acknowledge is that for finance, it's uh, it's smaller, and, and I think with data, it's gonna be much bigger in a bigger scale there. Um, eventually, you just want to apply your secret sauce to every business unit. Um, wrapping up with the, where do we even, even though the question about oh, who do you report to? It depends. I like how you gave this kind of uh, this this kind of growth pattern. And from an infant state, you're in the IT. Then you start growing, then you probably end up going to marketing because you, you focus a lot about consumer behavior. Then operations get jealous and you go there and eventually you probably get the seat at the table. That's what it needs to go. Uh, and we wrapped up is how do we motivate the change to tap into this power of collaboration that we started off with? Following the sports analogy, just implement a scoreboard, quantify it, put it there, just celebrate those wins. How did we do? What did we miss? You guys have quite that talent. I know we're paying attention. Well, this is <laughs> you. All right, we're gonna wrap it up very quickly. Three questions. Uh oh. Okay. What's your advice about data, about life? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Um, okay, so my advice is is stay curious. I'm sure probably everyone has said that, but every my favorite people are lifelong learners and, and people that are constantly curious, never feel like they're finished, right? Um, so uh, stay curious is my advice. Um, who should you invite next? Um, you know, my friend Laszlo at Data Storytellers, I think he does a great job about connecting people and bringing ideas to life. So um, you should meet my buddy Laszlo. He's he's a he's amazing, amazing uh, thought leader in the data space. Um, and what was the last question? What resources do you follow? People, conferences, uh, books, magazines. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, here at Gartner, so that one's an easy. That's a layup. Um, layup. You're <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I follow the IBF, uh, which is um, a forecasting. Uh, it's uh, I think it's like. I forgot Institute of Business Forecasting, or I forgot what it, it stands for, but it's uh, really around like demand planning and um, and business function. So they really do a great job of putting up. They have a podcast for um, forecasting that space. I also listen to the CPG guys, which is for the consumer product goods area, um, and of course I listen to Catalog and Cocktails. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you could be on it. Kristen, Cheers. this was such a pleasure. I'm so, so glad fun. we got to do this in person here. Tim, Cheers. enjoy your evening in London. Uh, next week, we have uh, Dr. Mike Dillinger, who is uh, formerly set up all the knowledge graphs work at LinkedIn. And he's been posting so much about knowledge graphs and large language models. Uh, definitely be following him. And he's going to be in the podcast next week. That will be fantastic. And I will actually be in D.C. next week uh, having another Honest No BS Dinner because Kristen and I were going to our Honest No BS Dinners that we have later tonight. And with that, Tim, see you next week. Good night. Uh, bye, everybody. Thank you so much. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.